And floorboards to shingles. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are so happy you're here today with us because we love to talk home improvement, to talk trends, to talk DIY dilemmas, all of those solutions that you are seeking to make your project successful. We are here to help, but help yourself first by calling us at 1 888 Money Pit. 888 Whether you're hearing this on the air, whether you're hearing this by podcast, we would love to talk with you at one eight 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 money pit Coming up on today's show, would you like to do a better job of taking care of your home, but figure, well, you just don't have the time? Sorry, we're about to cross that myth off the list with a series on home repairs that you can do in 30 minutes or less. And speaking of myths, when it comes to taking care of your home, there are many myths that we hear, like, you know, do you really need to run the water when you're using the disposer? Or how about this? Is it necessary to pre-rinse your dishes before you put them in the dishwasher? This is an argument had in many households every darn day of the week. Moms making kids do it. Husbands and wives arguing over this. We're going to find out the truth to that and other household myths in a bit. And there are many choices out there when it comes to home heating fuel. But have you ever wondered which is really the most efficient? We're going to sort out the differences between oil, gas, propane, and electric heat to help you determine which delivers the best energy efficiency for your home. But first, let's get to your calls. What's going on in your money pit? We'd love to hear. Give us a call right now at one 888 Money Pit. Leslie, who's first? Geraldine in New Jersey, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I have a shed. Well, it's my first home, but I'm 74, and the shed uh, is was put up about 10, 15 years ago. And what happens is it's a metal shed. It wasn't put up by by professionals, if you know what I mean. Somebody recommended people. The roof has leaks in it, and so and the floor, you know, is a wooden floor, like a, I guess a plywood floor. And I went to look at it, and everything was wet. So apparently it had got leaks in the roof. And the floor, of course, has to be, you know, replaced. My question to Tom is like, uh, my neighbor says, well, just tear it down. No, but I come from the old school where, you know, try to save things and repair them. And my theory is that maybe if I can find out from him what I can put in the roof to perhaps seal the metal. And also that every shed, I, I just want to ask him, every shed I think should have some kind of ventilation. And this, I believe, has nothing. Well, not necessarily. I mean, all sheds don't have to have ventilation. They're generally so drafty that they're kind of self-ventilated. But in terms of this leak, Geraldine, if the roof is structurally intact, in other words, it's not rusted out, then we can assume that the leaks occurred in the seams of the roof. And the best material to use that would be silicone caulk because it lasts a really long time and it uh, seals very well. It sticks very well to the metal. It will expand and contract. So I guess what I would probably do is have a contractor or a carpenter to seal all of the joints in the roof with silicone caulk and see if that controlled it. Now, one of the things you could do is is simply take a hose up there, and by working one small section at a time, you may be able to narrow down exactly where it's leaking. It might not be the whole roof. There just might be some sections of that roof that are leaking, and this way you're, you're not kind of doing the whole thing. But you need to figure out where the leak is and, and deal with that. Metal shed roofs don't lend themselves to second roofs. It's kind of one and done. And if it turns out the roof is structurally rusted out, then I would probably agree with your neighbor that it was time to tear it down and, and get a new one. But if it's structurally in good shape, not deteriorated, it's just a matter of, of a seal that's broken somewhere. You got to figure out where that seal is and then fix it with silicone caulk. Thank you very much. 
very much, Tom. Good luck, Geraldine. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Victor and George is on the line with a carpet question. What can we do for you, sir? I need to know how to get PVC glue off a carpet. Hmm. Oh. Circular saw would work well. Yeah, I tried Scissors. a shotgun. That didn't work. Weed whacker. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a little aggressive. No, yeah, you... that's that's an that's an adhesive that I don't think you're going to be able to get out of that carpet. Unfortunately, what's the story behind that, Victor? How'd that happen? Well, I had a man here putting up some ceiling tile. He said he was a plumber. He's not a carpet cleaner, that's for sure. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry to tell you, but I don't. I don't think there's a way to get that glue out of that carpet. Not not an industrial glue like PVC glue. That's just going to be rather impossible. It was funny over this past holiday season. You know, I hadn't had a, a large amount of company to my house in a while, and I went to take out some chairs from the boiler room, which in the spring of the previous year had to have the whole ceiling replaced. The hearth wasn't supported. I mean, there was a ton of work, and I went to pull these chairs out. And in addition to them just being dusty and dirty. There had been like as if someone just drizzled a PVC glue or some type of industrial glue all on the chairs and you couldn't pick it off, scrape it off, get it off the upholstery. So I was scrambling to borrow chairs from a neighbor on Christmas Eve. I mean, that glue, it it does its job for darn sure. It holds good anything. Well, sorry we couldn't give you better advice, Victor. Hopefully it's a spot where some furniture will look good on top of it, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, Victor, take care of yourself. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Now we've got Joan in Illinois on the line who's dealing with a mold issue. Tell us about it, Joan. Well, I'm wondering what causes dry rot and how you can tell if you if you have it. Okay. Well, what are you seeing, Joan? Coming down to the floor, there's about an inch above, below the molding. And I took the carpet up, and I saw sawdust down there, and I wondered if it was dry rot. Right. So first of all, there's no such thing as dry rot. There's only wet rot. Wood that gets wet, it gets over 25% moist, can start to decay. Then if that wood also dries out, that's what people call dry rot. But it's really sort of a, of a misnomer because it's not really dry rot, rot. It's wet rot that has dried out. Oh, so we can't cause it by overheating or underhumidifying a house. No. Well, not overheating, but if you if you overhumidify, I guess it's technically possible because you'd put a lot of water in there. But but no, you're not going to cause it by overheating. Now, in terms of what you're seeing under this molding, I think that would bear some further investigation. When you mentioned sawdust, I think about carpenter ants, for example. And so I, I would make sure that I know exactly what's causing this. One of the things that you could do is you could take a picture of it and you could post it to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the money pit. We'll take a look at it and give you an opinion. Uh, or you could post it to the community section at moneypit.com. How about that? That sounds great. All right, Joan, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Give us a call with your home repair, your home improvement question. It's about to be March, you guys. We are almost almost done with winter so give us a call if you've got some spring home improvements on your mind we're here 24 hours a day seven days a week at 1-888-MONEYPIT 888-666-3974 up next gas oil propane or electric there are many ways to heat your home are you wondering which is most efficient we're going to tell you after this you live in a money pit Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens too. 
Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. The Money Pit is presented by ClickStudios.com, the smarter way to a designer kitchen. Tell us more about your project at ClickStudios.com slash radio and receive a free custom kitchen design. That's C-L-I-Q Studios.com forward slash radio. Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at MoneyPit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And I put spring at, what, about a month or so away right now? So you must be getting that to-do list ready to go. Are you thinking about a project for the outside, for the inside? Want to make your home more energy efficient before it comes time to start spending even more money on summer cooling bills? Those are all great topics. Give us a call right now at one 888 Money pit. You know, Tom, I'm about to do what I feel like is my every five or six year spring project. What's that? I constantly need to replace the gate from my driveway to my backyard. What happens to it? You know, first, some of the you know mechanisms like the latch will start to fail. I don't know if it's that the pressure treated lumber is starting to fail and the connection point where the latch is to the post will start to fail. So then I, you know, redo all of that. And then eventually the posts start to fail and the hinges will start to fall off. So I'm thinking this year I might go with one of those. Those, you know, it's not really plexi, but, you know, one of those types of fences. If right. you can do that for just the gate. Like a PVC type of material. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you do that just for the gate? Yeah, it's lighter. You know, one of the problems with those wood gates is that they're so darn heavy that they do force a lot of wear and tear. And it is a wider opening because it is yeah. the driveway. And ah, I've done it well, with yeah. just two gates. So it's yeah. like it, inevitably every five years we're getting a new one. Right. And they tend to sag a lot. Because mm-hmm. of the weight. That's so, where it starts. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, I think PVC might be a good choice. You're still going to have to protect it against sags, but I think that's a great choice. Plus, you certainly won't be picking up a paintbrush for that. <laughs> Fatma is on the line from Michigan with a grout question. What is going on at your money pit? I have a, my house is about 22 years old. Was uh, I think it was built in 94. Um, I have a family room that is, um, uh, the floors are ceramic. And I noticed that the grout is breaking, and so the, some of the ceramic um, uh, tiles is kind of lifting up. Um, and a similar thing now just happened in the bathroom um, and the laundry room. So I was just wondering... Um, what is the best and most uh, costly, effective way to um, 
fixes that problem. But what kind of floor is the tile on? Is it on a wood floor? Do you have a basement underneath this or what? Um, okay, it's uh, the house is uh, two floors. Um, we do have a basement underneath, and uh, part of it is finished and part of it is not. Um, and um, I have the problem was noticed um, a while ago. Um, in the upper floor bathroom, in the master bathroom. The master bathroom is above the garage, and I thought that that may be because the garage is cold and maybe the difference in the temperature. So that was just like one crack. Um, now that the family room um, is is having the same, the grout is breaking, and the, the other half bathrooms also, and the laundry room, all on the main floor. Because what I'm concerned about is that the base of the tile, however the floor was prepared for the tile to go on, wasn't stiff enough. So if there's any flexibility in that floor, then this would mean that the tile would move and the grout would start to crack and you could get tile that pops up. In this situation, it's 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 hard to do a a partial repair. Certainly you can, there's tools that can be used to grind out the grout. It could all be replaced, regrouted, but that's not to say that it won't continue to move. Loose tiles can be lifted up and re-glued to the floor and then regrouted, but it might not be the end of it. If it turns out that the base, the way the tile was installed initially wasn't done very well, then that's why you're continuing to have movement and, uh, and and looseness and cracking. And so in that case, the best thing to do is to take all the tile up and then to redo it really from the bottom on up or to choose a different you know type of flooring material. You don't have to use tile. If you wanted to leave the tile in place and put another flooring on top of that, you could do that as well. And laminate floor works very well for that. It's a you know fairly new flooring material. It's extremely durable, and it can look like tile or stone or hardwood floor. And it kind of snaps together, and then it floats on top of the floor that's underneath it. You could put that right over the old tile. It's just that the floor would be a little higher as a result. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 888- Money Pit. Well, have you been bombarded with ads compelling you to choose propane over oil or natural gas over electric? Well, all those competing claims can make it kind of hard to figure out what is the best deal. Now, according to the Department of Energy, the best home heating fuel option for your home depends on a variety of factors, including the cost and availability of the fuel and the cost of maintenance and distribution. But the truth is that for most of us, our home heating fuel options are not really up to us since the fuel has to match the heating equipment that was installed in your home, in your apartment, or your condo, and switching out from one fuel to another usually isn't practical, but there are some ways to save. Yeah, that's right. Now, if you heat by oil, or in some cases, propane, one of the ways to cut your costs is to join fuel oil cooperatives. Now, cooperatives are groups that form to purchase the fuel oil in bulk at a discounted price, and then all of those discounts are passed along to the end user. Now, the cooperatives have been around for more than 20 years, and joining one really can result in substantial savings. You've just got to remember that these providers don't offer services like an emergency oil delivery on a cold weekend night if you happen to run out. Yeah, and that can be super important. If I had to rank all the fuels by preference, I would probably put gas at the top of that list, uh, followed by 
well, cost aside, geothermal, and then probably oil and propane and electric somewhere after that. I love geothermal, except the install cost is so darn expensive. But if you happen to live in a community where there are rebates available, it could be just the perfect choice for you. Always love taking calls from my neck of the woods. We've got Scott in New York, who's working on the driveway. Tell us what's going on. In my house, in my driveway, uh, I have a blacktop driveway. I noticed uh, sitting water spots after a rainstorm. Uh, I was wondering what my options were to fix. So are these actual potholes or just sort of low spots? Just low spots. i got to tell you, it's difficult to address a situation where you just have low spots like that because it's a failure of the base of the driveway. If when the driveway was put in, the base of the driveway underneath, you know, probably wasn't prepped correctly, and so over time it's settled and sagged, and that's why you're developing those water spots now. Uh-huh. It's difficult to patch over that unless it's a fairly contained area. So, for example, if you had a, a, a section of broken up driveway that maybe was a foot or so square, you know, there are different densities of patching compounds. They come everywhere from like a gravel mix. That is an, a, a latex product that uh, you could put in and will dry solid, you know, to something that's fairly liquid for cracks. But to really raise the level of low spots in there, you're really talking about a situation where you'd have to replace the driveway or put a second la- uh, layer on it. And I, and I got to tell you, I probably would not even put the second layer on it because I would not be confident as to how the original driveway was constructed. And I'm, if I wanted to avoid that in the future, I would probably tear it up and start again. So I guess your question is, how much does this really bother you? Does it work, bother you enough where you want to tear it up? Or you just want to live with it for a few more years before you get to that? If it's not cracked... You know, perhaps just sealing it is going to protect it as long as possible. Keeping that water from saturating into that area and soaking into that area will help stabilize it for the for uh, at least for the immediate future. Okay, make sure you help. We've got Cindy in Michigan on the line who wants to talk about reducing energy costs. How can we help you? Is there a way to lower your electric bills by generating your own electricity? I've heard of solar panels and windmills and seems like they cost a lot of money to get them going and i'm wondering is it actually feasible financially to do something like that yeah well first of all the most effective way to cut those energy costs and especially if we're talking about heating and cooling energy is to improve the energy efficiency of your home and the single most important way or easiest way to do that is by improving insulation. It's amazing how many people simply don't have enough insulation. In a state like Michigan, you're certainly going to want to have 15 to 20 inches of insulation in your attic. Now, as to your question about generating your own power, there are some programs that are run by state governments and by utility suppliers that include different sorts of rebates uh, and different sorts of, of, of purchase I don't want to say schemes, but sort of plans for getting that equipment to your house. So, for example, uh, in my part of the country, they have uh, offers where you don't actually pay for the initial installation. There, You partner with uh, an energy company that does the installation of solar panels, and then as, the, as it generates energy, you get to keep some of that, and some of that goes back to the utility company, and eventually it pays off the cost of that installation. So I would investigate solar programs in your area and rebates that might be available. Start with the utility companies and go from there, because if there's a favorable program, that's the only way it makes a cost-effective. You are correct in that a lot of these things are very expensive and don't make a lot of economic sense. But if there's rebate money available, either uh, locally, uh, at the state level, or federally, it does make sense. Okay, so you would 
just call your energy company then? I would start there with your utility company or simply do some research online for rebates that are available in your area. Okay, Cindy? All right. Thank you. You're very welcome. Good luck with that project. Hey, just ahead, we're going to sort out the facts from fiction with the truth behind a few of our favorite home improvement myths after this. Hi, this is Mary Lou Henner from The Mary Lou Henner Show, and I'm obsessed with these guys. You're listening to The Money Pit. My buddies Tom Kreitler and Leslie Segretti. On The Money Pit Radio Show. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling 888-MONEY-PIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. Money Pit is presented by Isonine Spray Foam Insulation, an effective one-step insulation product that insulates, air seals, and reduces drafts that can save as much as 40% on your heating and cooling bills. Learn more about Isonine Spray Foam Insulation today by visiting isonine.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Well, have you replaced your heating system filter lately? That's a job that tends to get forgotten about this time of year. And a dirty filter can reduce airflow, which makes your system work that much harder to deliver that warmth where it's needed. Plus, that in itself can drive up the heating and, in the summer, cooling costs, too. So you might want to make sure you get to replacing that filter soon. Or better yet, if you want to plan a project, for the spring, think about investing in a whole house air cleaner that requires only annual maintenance, which is pretty sweet. Well, when it comes to the topic of home improvement, there's often more bad advice than sage wisdom that spreads like wildfire. True. And for those of us in the role of trying to provide the best advice, we often need to help separate fact from fiction 
which is why we thought it might be fun to invite our friend Kevin O'Connor, the host of This Old House, to help us get to the bottom of some of these very common household myths. Welcome, Kevin. Hi, guys. Great to see you again. So I'm sure you hear about as many of these supposed pearls of wisdom as we do. What household myths really need to be busted in your view? Wow, there's a whole bucket full of them. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But uh, let's see if I can make a short list here. Um, I think one of the first things is when you're picking a contractor, the lowest bid is the worst one. One, right, So we always advise people, go out there and get a few bids, right. and sometimes you throw out the lowest, you throw out the highest, and you settle it on the middle. Well, that might be you know reasonable, but to think that the lowest is always the worst, I don't think that's necessarily true. And in fact, price probably shouldn't be your only consideration. Um, you're going to want to find out to make sure that the person is actually bidding on apples to apples. Are two contractors going to do the same level of work? That might explain the discrepancy in their price, but also really important things, word of mouth. Have they gotten a good reputation? And are they licensed? Do they have all of the um, certificates that are needed to get the job done? Yeah, and I want to go back to that apples to apples comparison, because I think that's a point that a lot of folks miss. You need to have a good set of specifications for your project. Otherwise, you're leaving it up to the contractor to tell you what they intend to do to complete your job, whether it's a kitchen reno or a bathroom or even a repair. It has to be, it has to come out exactly how you expect. And if you don't have that, you're not going to be able to make that comparison. The more detailed that you have in the plan before you get started, the better off you're going to be served, both by the contractor who you eventually pick, but also in picking the right contractor so that they're all bidding against the same thing. We just went through a kitchen renovation, and one contractor pointed out that the electrical panel was going to need to be upgraded because we needed new circuit breakers, the arc fault circuit breakers. Um, And that was great. We said, okay, fine, let's put that in the price. Another contractor came in and said, hey, you may not be aware, but these new breakers will not fit in your existing panel. I have to change the whole thing out. That was better information for me, explain why there was an extra $600 charge in his um, proposal, but I was better off knowing that because I was going to be in a pain it anyway. And you definitely would want to work with the guy that knew that as opposed to the guy that Absolutely. may have found it out later and hit you with a $600 surprise. <laughs> Absolutely. And along those same lines, um, I wouldn't necessarily uh, think that the highest bid you get is necessarily from the best contractor. Oh, oh yeah. he's charging me a lot. He must be uh, the best guy in town. Um, you know, these guys, they're usually small businesses. Their calendars fill up fast. And one of the fastest ways to make sure you don't get too much work is to throw a big number against a job. Maybe it means he doesn't really want it. So don't necessarily think that the lowest or the highest should be thrown out by a matter of course. I think another thing that people don't realize or perhaps just don't want to acknowledge is that if they're doing a DIY project, that well, they probably don't need a permit. Yeah, I think people think that the permit comes with the professional. And if the professional's not involved, the permit's not necessary. And, and to be true, uh, to, to be honest, there are a lot lot of jobs that homeowners can do without a permit, the sanding, the painting, even some small renovation with taking down um, walls or putting up walls. But there are plenty of projects that even if you were doing them yourself, you do need the permit. And you want to check into that beforehand because whether you knew or not, if you needed a permit to do the project and you didn't get one, you could have a little nasty surprise at the end of that project. We're talking to Kevin O'Connor, the host of TV's This Old House, about some common household myths. Now, here's one that actually used to be true, but not so much anymore, and that is that low-flow toilets, water-efficient toilets, 
don't work. Yeah. So the low flow toilet um, these days, it, it makes it sound like it is something new and revolutionary. It's a, a toilet that uses 1.6 gallons or fewer to actually cause a toilet to flush. Um, and they're pretty much standard issue these days. I mean, it's hard to buy one that isn't a 1.6 uh, toilet out there. And as you say, Tom, maybe that was the case 10 years ago or even two decades ago. But these things work perfectly fine. And in fact, they've improved on the technology where you can flush a toilet effectively with even less water than the low flow standard. Yeah. And I think the thing is that since toilets last a long time, there's still plenty of the poorly performing low flow toilets out there. But you can rest assured if you upgrade to the newer ones that they've got all those kinks worked out. Absolutely. I think another one is, you know, everybody always thinks, oh, bigger, better. So I might as well (laughs) apply that to everything in my home, especially the HVAC system. Yeah. So, I mean, I've heard this story plenty of times from Richard Trithui, our HVAC um, and our plumbing specialist. The easiest thing for a contractor to do when they're coming and putting a new system into your house is to just make it as big as they can possibly make it because that will guarantee you that you're not going to have a day when it doesn't keep up. They don't have to do any thought. It might be a higher end system um, and they'll just put it in. But bigger is not necessarily better. The ideal thing to do with an HVAC system is to size it appropriately for the house. You want it to be able to service that house, to keep up with the cooling load. Um, But if you make it bigger, you actually going to run into problems. You probably have bought more than you need, but also it could cause it to cycle. And by that, I mean, it will give you a huge blast of cold air. It'll bring the room to temperature very quickly, but then it will shut off. And shutting off doesn't always help you because as you guys know, with air conditioning, a lot of it is dehumidification. And so dehumidification happens when the air is actually moving through that system. And it's less about cooling and it's more about extracting that moist air out of that. And that happens when it is cycling frequently. Good advice. So one more myth that I think we should tackle that is a really expensive mistake for folks to make, and that is that homeowner's insurance will always cover a flood. Not the case, as so many people learned in the recent hurricane that struck New Jersey, Sandy. Yeah, and I think the way to think about this is that there's two different kinds of floods. There's the flood that's caused by your washing machine hose that goes, that's in the house, Um, and that is not the flood we're talking about here. We're talking about the act of nature, when the river overflows or the ocean pushes up over the dunes. Those types of flood are very typically a separate level of insurance. Your homeowners does not typically cover that, so you could have catastrophic damage to your house. Call up your insurance company, and they'll tell you simply, sorry, you're not insured. So if you think you're at risk of this, and you can find out where the maps are, where you lay in the floodplains, um, you should be thinking about a, an additional policy specifically to cover for flood insurance. Kevin O'Connor, the host of TV's This Old House, great advice as always. Thank you so much for being a part of The Money Pit. It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you, guys. All right, you can catch the current season of This Old House and Ask This Old House on PBS. For local listings and step-by-step videos of many common home improvement projects, visit thisoldhouse.com. And Ask This Old House is brought to you on PBS by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. Up next, do you think you don't have time to be a DIYer? Well, think again. We're going to discuss some home repairs you can get done in 30 minutes or less after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
solutions live. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Thinking about picking up a paintbrush, fixing a squeak, dealing with a leak? Give us a call right now. We'd love to help. The number is 1-888-MONEY-PIT. Now we've got Trenton Florida on the line who's dealing with a fallen apart popcorn ceiling. How can we help you? Well, uh, my popcorn ceiling is actually in my bathroom. Uh, it's, I guess... One night or something, my son had gotten it wet, and when it dried, it started flaking off the ceiling, and now it's just continuing to do it. (laughs) Well, it's funny, because when you get a popcorn ceiling wet, that's actually the way to remove it. You would spray it with, you know, some sort of garden sprayer and then scrape it off. So if you want it gone, he's got you on the correct (laughs) path. Now's the time, right? (laughs) But if you don't want it gone, what I would do is this. I would um, take like a, uh, maybe a, a stiff bristle brush and gently brush away, maybe like a dry paintbrush, you know, and, and just brush away all the loose stuff. And then you're going to pick up some uh, popcorn ceiling patching material. There's a number of different manufacturers of this. I know that Zinzer makes one. Homax makes one. It comes both on a trowel on. Uh, finish and also on a spray-on finish. It looks like um, cheese in a can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It it's like cheese whiz. And <laughs> yes. you can spray that on and recreate the popcorn effect that way. And then lastly, you're probably going to have to paint that ceiling and paint the entire ceiling to, to blend it in. But you got to get rid of the loose stuff, add the patching material, then repaint the ceiling, and you'll be good to go. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you very much. Now you've got options. You're very welcome. Well, if you keep telling your spouse or your significant other that you just don't have time to do anything around the house, we are calling your bluff. Because if you've got 30 (laughs) minutes or less, there are lots of improvements that can make your home more comfortable. For example, you know that window that probably hasn't opened since Seinfeld was on prime time? You know what? It's (laughs) probably time to get it fixed. And the reason it doesn't open is most likely because it's painted shut. That's an easy fix. Don't keep staring at that stuck window. Just grab a putty knife and break the paint seal all the way around. Now, here's the trick. If it still won't budge, take a block of wood, put it on top of the lower window sash, and then tap the wood down with a hammer. That will push it just down enough to break that paint seal. Do it on both sides, and you'd be amazed. It'll pop right open again. Yeah, well, here's another one. Exercise. You know, it's good for you, but it turns out that exercise is also good for your circuit breakers. Who knew about this, guys? Now, every six months, you need to turn off each breaker and then put it back on again. Then every month, you want to push the test button on the GFCI to make sure that it stays flexible and strong, just like you feel after your workout. Pretty much. Now, you can check for water leaks in 30 minutes, turn off all the running water in your house, and then look at your water meter. If it's moving, you've got a leak. You can also check your fixtures and faucets for leaks pretty quickly. If you want to check your sink, simply fill it up to the overflow and then release the drain, look under the sink, and see if you got any drips. It's easy to check for leaks around toilets. They usually show up right at the bottom of the bowl, and sometimes the wood will get a bit soft there, telling you you have an internal uh, leak going on. And if you want to check for leaks in your shower pan, just cover the drain with a washcloth and fill it up. Give it about 20 minutes and look underneath. Go right downstairs below it. Keep an eye on it. If there's anything wrong with that shower pan, you'll see the leak. Now, fixing those leaks, I will admit, will take more than 30 minutes, but at least you found it out pretty quickly and you saved yourself all the damage that would ensue if you didn't know about it. Kelly in South Dakota is on the line and wants some help removing wallpaper. What can we do for you? I have a uh, some wallpaper that I want to remove, and I believe we primed the walls. This has been about 10 years ago, 
And um, when I pulled back on the edges of the wallpaper, it seems as though it's taking a bit of the drywall with it. So what you want to do is you want to get a tool called a paper tiger, which puts small holes in the surface of the paper, and it helps the wallpaper remover get behind it and loosen up the adhesive. Now, in terms of wallpaper removal, you can use fabric softener which works well, or you could use a commercially available product like DIF, D-I-F, but putting those holes in there is important because otherwise it doesn't saturate the paper. Now, if you do that and it still doesn't loosen up and pull off, then what you need to do is go out and rent a wallpaper steamer, and that will use warm, moist air to separate the paper from the wall. No matter how you do it, it is a lot of work, and once that wallpaper is off, you're going to need to reprime that wall with a good quality primer uh, so you have a nice surface upon which to put uh, your final uh, color of wall paint. Okay. Do you need to sand that once you get it all done? Well, if it's a little rough, just lightly sand it. Uh, you don't want to sand it too much, especially because you don't want to cut into the paper that's part of the drywall. But a little bit of light abrasion is not a bad thing. But the most important thing is a good quality uh, priming paint applied to that wall surface because you're going to have old sizing material and, and who knows what else stuck to that. And if you put the primer on, it will give you a good, good surface upon which to apply the paint. The paint will flow nicely and it'll look better when it dries. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Thanks so much for calling the Money Pit. Just ahead, stoves can be a real danger zone for your kids. We're going to have some tips on how to make stoves safe, including an important note about preventing stoves from tipping over after this. Hey, hey, hey. The Money Pit is presented by Home Advisor. Find trusted home improvement pros for any project at homeadvisor.com. Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Hey, you know, stoves can be a real danger zone for children. Leslie, I'm sure you are always on guard when you're cooking around your kids. Oh, my goodness. Even now, you know, Henry's eight and Charlie's four, but I'm still nervous. I always make sure, you know, the traditional things, handles are pointed inward. I only recently took the special big plastic covers off of the knobs to turn the gas burners on. You know, it was basically like you had to unlatch a seat thing to then get to the to the valves themselves to turn on the burners i only just recently did that i mean you know clearly i don't trust my kids <laughs> well you know the thing is you can't be watching them 24 7 and here's a new danger that i think a lot of parents are not aware of and that is tip over kids love to climb right and so they'll open the oven door and climb up on that door and what happens the entire range can tip over now there's a there's a bracket called an anti-tip-over bracket that can be installed um, on your range to stop this from happening. And if you don't have it, especially if you have an older range, it's a really good thing for you to install. So let's be safe out there and take care of those kids. I mean, that's interesting. You know, when Charlie was little, he used to like to pull out the warming drawer and then sit in it. Sit in it or climb on it. And I would turn around and he'd be sitting in the warming drawer. So that makes a ton of sense that you would have to be concerned about this. Absolutely. I mean, they're learning new things every day. And so even though they didn't do it today, doesn't mean they're not going to figure it out tomorrow. All right. Well, figuring things out is what we help you guys do. So let's jump into a post here from Joan in Massachusetts who writes, I do a lot of entertaining and I would like to put a second refrigerator in my garage, but I've heard that since my garage isn't insulated, that the refrigerator isn't going to work properly. Is this correct? Oh, Joan is a smart cookie because a lot of people can't understand how this is even a possibility. Yeah, because refrigeration really is designed to work at room temperature. So when you put it into an unfinished space where it's going to be super cold, like a garage, it does not work well. 
There are, however, special refrigerators designed for those spaces. I know that the Whirlpool Company makes one under the Gladiator brand. I am sure there are others. But just putting your old refrigerator out there will not work well. And in fact, it can waste an awful lot of energy. So it's not the best place to put that extra fridge if you're just trying to find a place to, you know, keep an extra case or two of beer or some extra turkeys or, or whatever else is going on in your house, it's not the best place for it because the refrigeration cycle is designed to work at room temperature and not at uh, sub-zero temperatures. All right. Well, I hope that helps, Joan. This way, at least you haven't wasted money on a fridge and then a whole bunch of rotten groceries. Next, we've got one from Bob in North Carolina who writes, there are smoke marks above one of my electrical outlets in the kitchen. Should I call an electrician? I don't even use the outlet. You should definitely be concerned about that because if you do have have any type of a soot mark around that outlet, that means that there was some sort of a short in the outlet. Now, it might be nothing, or it could mean that the outlet itself is deteriorating. So whether you use it or not, it is energized all the time, and so that could make it potentially dangerous. So that sort of thing is definitely something to be aware of. And in the kitchen, as in the bathroom, if you're going to have an electrician come in, make sure if you don't have them that they install ground fault circuit interrupter outlets in those places to make it even more safe because the ground fault outlet detects any diversion of current to a ground source, which could be you if you're getting a shock, and it turns the power off before anybody can get hurt. Yeah, and you know, Bob, while you've got the electrician in, there's actually an even newer version of that ground fault. It's actually called an arc fault circuit interrupter. So you can even get a combination outlet. You can get just the arc fault. It might be worth it to invest in those things now while you've got the work getting done and just keep everybody safe. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Hey, thank you so much for spending this hour with us. If you've got questions 24-7, you can call us at 1-888-MONEY-PIT. The Money Pit lines are always open. We're always there to take your calls. If we're not in the studio, we will look to call you back the next time we are. Happy home improving. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.